Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, my guest is Lana Grant. Lana is a specialist advisor within the field of SEN. She is an advocate for SEN children and their families and has worked within the field of SEN for nearly 20 years with a specialism in autism. In this episode, we're talking about supporting mental health in primary age children. And over the last year or so with COVID, this is a really important topic that needs discussing. But before we get started, have you heard about the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch videos whenever you need to, as they are always available. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're talking about how to support mental health in primary age children. Joining me today is Lana Grant. Lana has a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome and is also a parent of children on the autism spectrum. Lana is a specialist SEN advisor and advocate for SEN children and their families. Lara's first book, From Here to Maternity, Pregnancy and Motherhood on the Autism Spectrum, was published in 2015, and one book was enough for Lana. And Lana also contributes to various articles, podcasts, and delivers talks at various shows and events. Welcome to the show, Lana. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. Excellent. So over the last year, five years as a country, we really started to understand the importance of mental health. Mm-hmm. But we aren't always following through. So we're talking about it and we're saying how important it is. But are we actually making changes to support each other and our children? Well, if we are, I'm not seeing it. I remember sitting in um, a training session when I worked for the local authority about three years ago and they were talking about mental health first aiders, which to me sounded fantastic, something I'd re- would, you know, like, I really want to do that. You know, and there should be a mental health first aider in school. So it was the ch- obviously the children area that I was, children's area I was interested in. But it would seem that now you know, three years on, there seemed to be a lot of courses because I was having a look at this uh, in preparation for today and I was having a look, there seemed to be a lot of courses, but when I go out into schools, there don't seem to be a lot lot of mental health first aiders in school. So I'm not sure what happened there. There was meant to be a lot of funding that was pumped into it. I read five million and then I think it was during Theresa May's time as prime minister. And then I read something about 300 million. So there's a disparity with figures. It's not very clear to get any information off websites and things. But I think particularly in relation to COVID, we're going to have children, not just send children, we're going to have lots of children coming back into school, into primary school with mental health difficulties that need support. Where does that support come from? Because I'm not seeing it. When I go into schools, I think the the referrals to places like CAMS, CAMS have a set criteria that they accept. And I'm just seeing a huge amount of children that are being knocked back because they don't fit that criteria or the waiting lists are massive. Or actually CAMS are, have bought private providers 
to do some of the work and some of the work isn't necessarily appropriate, particularly for kids who are on the autistic spectrum um, because it's talking therapy and things like that. And a lot of our young people struggle with it. So I can't see, you know, everyone talks about mental health, the media, the government. I'm not seeing any of that talk being put into action in schools. I think, I think to me, almost like the uh, mental health first aid was kind of like almost like the first steps. Mm. But I think in a lot of people's eyes, it was the, uh, the only step that's needed. Yep, mental health first aider, yeah. tick. Tick that yeah, We've got one, completely ignore them. And I know um, companies who have them. Yeah. But I'm going, okay, as a company, oh, 500 people with a mental health first aider. Mm. What's, what's, what's that going to do in that company? That's, yeah. um, that's almost marketing. Yes. Yeah. It's not actually there to make a difference. It's to put it on a tweet or it's a bit of marketing to say, well, we've got this, but it's, there should yeah. be more. And I do think, um, and I meant there's a, there was a celebrity big brother thing a couple of years ago where and I think and I said it before is on the podcast is we are all love mental health. We all talk about how important it is mm. almost until someone has a crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And, what I mean by that crisis is you see something in the news of someone being attacked or mm-hmm. something going really horrible yeah. or something. And then we are literally picking that life apart, saying how horrible that person was, how mm-hmm. they didn't do this and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. And the answer is, yeah, this is what bad mental health looks like. This is, they've been going downhill, 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 yeah. downhill. Yeah. This is that call for help. Yeah. But no, what we're saying is they're a horrible person. Oh, I can't believe they would do that. We, I, and that's the sort of thing. As a country, we sit there and we say mental health, mental health, until someone has negative mental health. And then we often just say they're a horrible person. And it's like, yeah. no, all that mental first aid stuff we've been doing, that's what this is for. Absolutely, yeah. There's these incidents that you need to support them with. Yeah. But then that incident is one of the last sort of stops on a downward journey. Yeah, yeah. And no, there are various points on that downward journey we could intervene. I think what I've found from talking to a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of parents that I've worked with, is that particularly, I mean, mental health support wasn't great before COVID. Any support during COVID was withdrawn. So there wasn't any, any kind of support out there. And I, I printed off, it's the NHS responding to COVID-19 mental health, learning disabilities and autism, uh, which was uh, update two on the 25th of March 2020, which is a really lovely long document detailing all these things that will be done. Now, the people that I've spoken to, none of this really has been done. A quote here, people with mental health needs, a learning disability or autism should receive the same degree of protection and support with managing COVID-19 as other members of the population. This may mean providing additional support, including making reasonable adjustments. Now, unfortunately, the people that I've spoken to have not seen any of that to the extent where their children are at home struggling and suffering because they see things on the television or they hear things in conversation, they're aware that their routine has been totally taken away from them, and then they're expected now to go back into an environment that that people have spent six months saying, no, you can't go there, you can't go there because it's not safe. And I know from, from my own son's experience, he went back to school this week and he's in primary school. He went back on Wednesday, he had a great day. He went in yesterday, 
He had a great day. Today he hasn't gone in. He's devastated. He's upset. Nothing's the same at school. Um, you know, he's gone from working one-to-one with a teaching assistant because his anxiety levels were so high and then accessing alternative provision in the afternoon to having to go back into a class with 30 other children. Now, I, I, I lay no blame on the school because actually the school are great and have been really good. But it's no wonder he's had to day off because actually he is totally broken down with it. He's cried, he's sobbed, he's hit himself and said, you know, there's something wrong with me. Why can't I go to school? But actually his anxiety levels have gone through the roof. Now, as far as I'm aware, there is, well, I know because I'm living it, there is nobody that I can reach out to to ask for any support for him. No. He has an education healthcare plan. The only people that can support him are the school staff who clearly are trying to deal with the rest of the school, make it COVID safe, um, other children with needs. I've got, he's got a consultant who we see probably, I don't know, once a year and who prescribes melatonin for his sleep dis- difficulties. There is nobody else. The referral to CAMS came back. Well, no, you can't go to CAMS because he's autistic. So it's the autism, you know, and I'd like to hope that most of us know that autism is not a mental health condition, but that doesn't mean autistic people don't have difficulties with their mental health. So when all these children go back into school and have gone back into school, where is the support for their anxiety levels? Who is that coming from? Because I'm I'm not seeing anyone here offering additional support, a degree of protection with managing COVID. I'm, I'm just not saying that. And it's, it's, it's really hard for parents because there isn't that support. But you've also got to look at COVID in a different way that um, I hadn't even realised and talked to my sister. So she was much more clued up into what COVID was going to be. She yeah. was telling me at the beginning of March, this is going to be with us for like 18 months. Mm-hmm. School, and this one going, oh, school, we might close schools. We might not. My sister yes. was going, They'll be closed till September, if not Christmas. Mm. And I'm literally going, no. And she went to it and I was like, okay. So that, that was a real wake-up call that while the rest of the country are trying to work out, will schools close? Well, if they do, it will just be till Easter. <laughs> what, and my sister's going, no, no, no. no. So she, but she has her three boys with autism. And basically what she realized is the her two youngest would not cope being in a hospital yeah there's no chance so my middle door nephew can't go to the dentist yeah uh stuff like haircut nails can't touch his feet yeah all these all his routines around the cleanliness and his feet yeah type thing so he cannot he needs support all this stuff if he literally would just not cope being in a hospital so yeah. my sister had to take additional precautions so my eldest nephew had to come out of school yeah or i think it was school early was it college i think it was college had to come out mm. to make sure that there was no chance of him getting it yeah so as a family yeah their whole and even now my sister has to sit there and think is it right as a family for my children to go back. So he he's not at school. He's still a school, yeah. school refuser. He's hopefully going to transition to school this year, this term, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Um, but there's no way he's going back now. And my sister's done, there's like a, a document you can download about going into hospital with your child or something. Yes, yeah. 
So she's got that and she's gone through all of this, but she always is sitting there going, I've got to make sure that as, as you, like your son going in back to school, that routine, yeah. Yeah. that's the thing. But if actually there's danger of him getting COVID and then your yeah. son going into hospital. Yes. Yeah. Because generally you're not allowed visitors, so he's that's on his own. That's right, yeah. Yep, that's and right. you're literally going, you're literally giving my child his worst nightmare. Yep, yep. Whether he's ill or not, mm. he, he is, he'll be in such a situation yeah. mentally yes. that he would not cope with ventilators or any of this stuff. No. Even if it saves his life, he wouldn't be able to comprehend, understand, manage, yeah. regulate him, all that sort of stuff. It would just be horrible. Yeah, I mean, I've got um, in this. My son went in to have a hernia operation when he was about five, and they had to. When he came around from the anaesthetic, he was so distressed. He didn't know who we were. He was screaming. He was trying to jump off the bed. He had quite a strong and and apparently I've not got any statistics to back this up, but from things that I've read, it can be quite common in autistic people to have a slightly more intense reaction to anaesthetic when when they come round. So it's I'm not saying that will always happen, but it's certainly something worth bearing in mind if you're taking your autistic child for an operation. But they discharged him without even doing his observations. They said just take him home because he is so distressed. If there's any problem, take his temperature, watch him. If there's any problem, call us. I mean, they were really good. So the prospects of going into hospital for, for my son would be horrific. We're being told now, of course, that we have to get our children back to school. And I did say a few months ago that I felt very much that fines would be coming back because at the start yep. of lockdown, it was, no, you know, we understand if children are anxious, parents are anxious, it's fine. But now it's there's been a complete turnaround and it's a case of, right, well, if they're not in school, you will be fined. Now, how can you make a decision as a parent over your child's physical and mental health against, well, I'm going to be fined. What do I do? What is the right thing to do? Especially when uh, the parents I've spoken to and from my own son's perspective, having been at home and learning at home has reduced the amount of meltdowns that, that, lots of children have had and the struggles that they've had and I just wonder why you know I'd, I'd ask this question to the government why were you not on the ball why did you not look at flexi learning because we know that I know that flexi learning is possible because when I worked in outreach for children that that couldn't access school by going into the building in small cases let me point out because there wasn't that much money in some cases and children have been out of school for years they were they were able to access online teaching why has that not been rolled out why are we still forcing kids into these situations that's going to affect their mental health my son yesterday came home and and he said someone was coughing near me mom what if I get covid mommy what if you get covid and I, I am in that age group, apparently, <laughs> 50 plus. Don't know where, when that happened. I must have been asleep. Um, where, you know, they're saying on the television, oh, if you're 50 and over, you're vulnerable. And, and my little boy's bright enough to, if he comes into a room and that's when he hears it. So his mental health is stretched. And yep. that's why I've seen the breakdown with, with him today. And he, he, your son went to school. You ticked mm. the box. You did everything yes. you could. He yep. went to school. Yeah, but that school environment was completely different. So he, he exactly. wasn't returning to his school. He wasn't returning to what should be legally provided to him Absolutely, due to his, yeah. his, his, his plan. Yeah. He was going to something else. 
Yes, he was going to a classroom with 30 children. And, you know, I've spoken to the school today and I said, I honestly, I do not blame you at all. I am not here to criticise the school because they have done over and above. Well, not over and above, but they've certainly done everything they can do to help him and to help me. But all the rooms are at full capacity. So the breakout rooms that he might have used previously, he, they can't use them because those rooms, one of them is has had to be set aside for anyone that might have symptoms of COVID. So they have to go in there. He used to use the disabled toilet. He can't use that because that's now the COVID toilet. And, I, you know, the school has a class that it has a classroom that just about fits 31 children in. There's no way they can social distance them anymore. They moved somebody from him yesterday so that he was able to feel a little bit more comfortable. But it's just all been too much for him. So what what do I do? What do I just send him back or? The school have to fulfil, but for anyone who needs that additional support and they, something else needs to happen and you shouldn't be punished. You should not be f- made to feel like you're failing your child because you're not forcing him to go into school where it's actually damaging him. Yeah, That's the exactly, thing. When, yeah. when you talk about putting him in an environment where he's not, not comfortable, not happy, not enjoying it. Yeah. Whenever you're in those situations and you're forced into it, it's going to be doing damage. Well, all of these children that are going in with these high levels of anxiety, what are they learning? They're not learning anything because they're so hypervigilant to the slightest change, that, that how anxious they are, that actually nothing's going in. And I know you and I have talked about Maslow's hierarchy on other podcasts, and that's what, if they're not comfortable and feel safe and secure and happy, they're not going to learn anything. And that's why, I mean, I've spoken to the school about he can go into school when it suits him, if he needs to build up, if he wants to do half a day. That's my choice, and the school have agreed that, because a whole day might be too much for him to be there. But if he can do half a day, because when he was in, he really enjoyed it. But it's just too much. It's too much. too much overload. And there is, you know, that we I don't get any help from CAMS. I, no. I've asked. I've asked for support for his mental health. No, sorry, you'll have to go to the, the autism section of the NHS. And they don't really know what they can do. So where do we turn as parents? What, what's the best thing to do? We, we're being squashed between the government saying, well, you've got to go. Otherwise, schools will have to find you. It's, you know, all this stuff that comes out. Children should be in school. That's the best place for them. Is it? Not always, not for all children. I hope that's, that's a rhetorical question on where to get support and you're not hoping that I'm going to have an answer for you. It was a rhetorical question. Just just checking. <laughs> and the important thing about, we'll go back to this mental health, mm. yeah, is every person in that school, you need to know everyone's mental health. And yep. when when you do first aid training, generally most people have done first aid training in their, first, in their life, yeah. Generally, what's the first thing you do in that situation? Generally, the first thing you do is don't put yourself in danger. Yes. Yeah. Is it safe? Because you can't help someone if you are already. And to me, I think mental first aid and mental health is the same thing. Yeah. If you're not in the right place, if you're not coping with the situation you're in, yeah. How are you going to help? that person if you're literally on the point of almost on eggshells you're just on that limit of coping yeah can you try and help someone and they react 
you're going to probably react in a way you shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those things you can't then go, well, well, they shouldn't have done that. It's like, no, no, bring us back their mental health or their pressures. Yeah. Again, that was their call for help. Yeah. That was them saying, them snapping at your child or doing something inappropriate, not inappropriate in that way, but just something they shouldn't do. Yeah. Maybe not as supportive as they normally are. That's their mental health. And for your son talking to his teacher, who's normally really, really supportive. Yeah might sit there and go, sorry, what do you expect me to do about it? Yeah. Because she knows she cannot do anything. Everything yes. is tied, all her limits. Yeah. She can't do it. And it's, it's, it's affecting her mental health because she's looking at his children going, I can't help you. Absolutely. I'm not allowed to help you. Yeah. It, all this stuff's going on in that person's head yeah. as well. And then, of course, we've got the head teachers who are being squeezed by the government to, well, you know, if your attendance isn't good, you, you should be fining these parents. And there are head teachers that don't want to do that because they know their families, they know their community, and they know the children in their school. They don't want to do that because how is that going to help anybody? You know, if you've got a family whose children are struggling because they're anxious, they are depressed, they won't leave their bedroom, they won't go into school because of various things, and COVID is just the icing on the cake. And you've got a parent who's had to give up work potentially because their child needs them at home you've got a parent who's furloughed um, or made redundant what is the point in finding families like that and then we get into the blame thing of parents are then in a pinch point because then parents are saying to their children why can't you just go to school what's wrong with you just go to school because if you don't go to school, I've got to pay a fine. You know, so we it's all this pressure that I don't understand and yep. I don't agree with from, from our government and people in charge that, you know, it's not simple. And you're also you're destroying. So you're the, you're gonna need support from that school. But if this yep. support, if school's finding you and then kind of half destroying your relationship with your children, that relationship with the school's gone. Absolutely. You are literally going, you're not supportive, you're finding me. And if you're in that situation where you are getting fined and you can't afford the fines, yeah, because you're at it's just it's none of it is helpful. And I I get that for a lot of children, school is the best place. So my my daughters yeah. went back yesterday. Yeah, uh, my my eldest went into year ten, and I said, "How was it?" And she was like, "It was odd." And we were all kind of there. she said like they're all rabbit in the headlights because mm. they're yeah. all back. But she goes, "Oh, it was so interesting, and everyone's grown." And yes. she really loved it. She loved it. And she was a different yeah. person to the day before yeah. because she had a sense of normality. She had a normalish day and she'd caught up with everyone and she loved it. Yes. My youngest went into year seven and she went to a school and she went and she transitioned to that school and made a decision. She didn't want to be with the children from her primary school. She wanted a fresh start. Yeah. So she went to a school where she had no friends. So she was fresh start, making yeah. friends. She knew two boys in her class, in her tutor group. That's it. Everything else is new. Yeah. And she went there and she had to go make friends. She goes, How was your day? And she couldn't really tell me. And it's going back to that, um, that has a hierarchy of needing where you're literally, she's uh, focusing on friendships. Yes. So what did you do? She's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We really don't yeah. know. And she had to get a time to show up. We did something in, in this, but she wasn't really paying attention because she was focusing on yeah. the world around her. Yes. 
and just getting used to this giant school and um, all the changes and these new people. And she's trying to work out, um, are you a nice person? Yeah. Are you going to help me? Are you going to be my friend? Are you? There's all those working out what people are like and who to yeah. talk to, and more lots of teachers, not just one. Yeah. So that's quite. An, so she's got through, and so my eldest was able to go. Yeah, we did this. We did this. We did this. My youngest was going. I don't know. Yeah. And even in that work, she's not able to. So actually, her learning. Yeah. No academic learning going on. No. There's lots of social. There's lots yeah. of just getting used to it. Yeah. And um, there's a program I watched, it might be Panorama or one of those programs years ago, and it was all about different um, things that can go wrong with your vision. Yeah. So I just thought your eyes is your eyes is your head, and it just works, and it's fine. And uh, no, some people have, I'm going to say, refresh rates. So their eyes, the, the picture only updates once a second. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So you can imagine waiting for a train. Or someone mm. walking towards you and only yeah. changing once a second. How do you dodge that person? Yes, it, it, yeah. Literally going, what? And yeah. then somebody who could see perfectly fine but lost the facial recognition. Yeah. So her husband would walk in the room. She's like, hi. He's like, hi, I'm your husband. Yeah. Oh, and she knew exactly who they were. She just couldn't. Yeah. I was like, how yeah. do you not? And it, I found it really yeah. amazing. But one of the things they said is, you know when you just can't find something? Yes. You look there. And you don't see it, do you? Yeah, yeah. And you come back, and it was there the whole time. Yes. You you only see 5 to 10% of what you see. So generally, you're in a room you've been in hundreds of times. Yeah. The only thing you're really seeing is me. Yeah. Because everything else around you is the same. Yes. And the fact that you've seen me sitting on your webcam, on your screen for a while, you're not really seeing me. Yeah. Because your head's filling in, well, that's the same, that's not moving. Yeah. And basically, it just makes your head's job easier processing information because it's only processing what's new and what's changed. Mm-hmm. So when you look for something, although you're looking at the keys, your head's filling in what's normally there, which is nothing. Yeah. So you don't see the keys. Yeah. So that means when you go somewhere new, mm-hmm. you're having to see everything. When you're driving down roads you haven't been, when you're going somewhere new on holiday, mm-hmm. that day you get there is really tiring, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of it isn't just because you've travelled. It's because your head is having to process everything going on at the airport, everything going on on the plane, everything going yeah. on at the next airport, where you're going, all the travelling, your hotel, your head is seeing and processing everything it's seeing. Yeah. Where actually the day before it only processed 5% yeah. or 10% of what it saw. So it was like, so that's why when you do yeah. something new or something different, you go somewhere out for the day in London, you're really tired. It's like, well, I only walk that far. I'm not, I shouldn't yes. be. No, yes. it's your head's tired. Your head's gone. And I sometimes think, I've, I've, obviously I've got no comparison, but I think when you're in that situation where you can't cope with the world, I, I kind of see it as that, is yeah. when I'm somewhere new, my head is working hard and I'm really tired and yes. I'm drained. Yeah. But imagine doing that every but even worse than that, every single day, just being at school is like that every day. That would yeah. just be so draining. Yeah. That's quite common for autistic yeah. people, you know, that that facial recognition. And again, I think that the other reason that my son is off school today is because he has not had time to process the past two days. So he spent two full days at school. And, and I'll be honest, he came out, he was really happy um, on the first day. He was happy on the second day but not as happy and then it's almost as if today he's crashed 
because it's just all been too much and he needs to deregulate, he needs to self-soothe and and process what's happened. Um, and, and as I said, you know, the school have been brilliant. They're doing mindfulness, um, colouring, they're having one-to-one learning conversations and, and um, uh, pastoral conversations with the children and really trying to do the best they can in very, very difficult circumstances. Yeah. You know, you've got 30, and, and I feel that, and, and, you know, this is what I do. This is my job. It's my profession. And I am trying to say to school, I completely understand. And yes, a desk on his own, an individual workstation for my son would be better for him. But I, I understand you've only got a room of a certain size and you've got 30 children in it. So that causes not conflict, but I feel guilty suggesting that to school, whereas that once would have been, a, a you know, a fairly simple, reasonable adjustment but now I'm very aware that things have changed and that they're under pressure. I'm under pressure, but more importantly, my son's under pressure. But they'll do the, I know they'll do their best to accommodate me, but unfortunately, not all schools have either the, the will or the inclination to do that, um, or they really, really don't have the space and they don't have the facilities to do that. And it, I had to explain to my son at the end of kind of May, June time, um, that when he went back to school, he would probably be on a single desk because that, that was the case then. It was bubbles of eight. Yeah. And he really liked the idea of that. Oh, I like the idea of being on a single desk with all my books and my lunchbox and my little area. And then, of course, it all changed. And I've had to say to him, it's going to be the whole class. So that change hasn't helped. And, and you know, when you think about children and young people who are coming out of secondary school, who are coming out of college university we're saying that there's no there are no jobs we you know we're in this terrible recession there's no jobs there's no money so what's that doing to their mental health you know so we're talking about our primary school children but they're going to go through this and move up and then we've got to think about secondary children and older children um what is that doing to their mental health as well you know the world is very different now um and my son said to me you know I just feel as though the world's really bad now that's a nine-year-old who thinks his world is really bad and that's because there's no certainty about everything and everything's different and nothing is the same I I, th- I think over the last um I'm say 10 years because that's when um internet speeds really started taking mm. off and um the internet became really multimedia yeah the idea of being able to record a video yourself and upload it and other people to watch it. Mm. Ten years ago, that would have been a pipe dream. Yeah. Now we can all do it. We can video yeah. call. We do all that. It's quite similar. Yeah. But that's tech. And tech's had that, also had a giant impact on companies. So over yeah. the last 10 years, we've watched all the amazing companies of my childhood, Woolworths pick and mix type thing. Oh, disappear. Good old Woolworths and their pick and mix. It's oh. just things like that. And you look at all these companies who you knew as a child, Virgin Megastore, yeah. just disappearing. Yeah. Um, and you hear all these job losses. And I think lo- a lot of large companies um, haven't really moved with the times. And I really, they might say they have, but they really haven't. Yeah. And they are really being hit hard. Mm. the high street is dying i think there's nothing government can do to stop that there are things they can change it to make it different but much nicer but Mm. they probably won't (laughs) but 
there are lots of jobs and lots of companies coming up. So one of the quotes I love, and I've said it a few times on this podcast, in primary school, you are preparing children for a job that does not yet exist. Yes, yeah, yeah. So when I was in primary school, when I left primary school in 1990, the internet was a pipe dream. Yeah. The idea I was doing a podcast in yeah. 1990 would have been a whatcast. A what, it would have made yeah. no sense. But yet here we are. We're doing a podcast. We're recording. Yeah. But I do think in kind of how schools look at careers and jobs mm. and yeah. how we think of them as a country, we're still stuck in that 1990s. You, see, you go yeah. work for a big company. Yes. It's secure. Not anymore. And you work up and you have all these big companies and they come to your career. And actually, I think generally when a thousand people get made redundant from that company, mm. those a thousand people will pick up another job or yeah. another thousand people will pick up a job. But those a thousand people might pick up jobs in 200, 300 companies. Yeah. So we're getting much smaller companies, yeah. more specialist companies because it's just cheaper, it's easier, it's more things. Yeah. But the range of jobs I think is increasing. Yeah. the skills required but because there's so many small it's hard to really sort of reach out to those small organizations yeah so that's why i think we're hearing all doom and gloom yeah was actually there is a lot of positivity underneath yeah but you're not going to reach out to somebody called dave who runs this company with five people no. to find out how the careers are going you're going to go to the business this company who's a large yeah. thousand to find out how things are going this is all horrible so yeah. It's how companies look. And I know as we're a small company and we're doing okay and COVID's not hugely affect us and the building we're in and the companies mm -hmm. I talk to and friends who work, they're all going, yeah, life's, life's, uh, life's all right. Until I talk to my friend who works for British Airways and things, life's not yes. good. And then her husband is, uh, walks dogs as a job. So he's yeah, a dog walker, yeah. but suddenly when everyone's at home, no one needed a dog walker. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so there's lots of differences. Um, so yeah. I think for the jobs, I think I think the, what the careers information schools are given isn't always amazing and true and reflective no. of what's out there. Mm. That it's there's a lot more going on, but I do think what they hear is always going to hit their negative. It's going to hit that. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, the the older children going into the world at the moment that is going to be a very hard, mm. hard uh, world for them. Yeah. But they've almost got to learn a different way of working. That's another thing that schools aren't always great at preparing people for. Yeah. The digital skills, the digital world yeah. is just, there's so many more options. We mentioned um, before we did the podcast, you mentioned Udemy. Yes. Udemy is a great platform for learning. There's lots of other platforms. There's so many places you can learn yeah. outside of school. And you go, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, go learn it. Yeah. Go do it. Yeah, um, there's a lot more options. Um, yeah. it's, there's a lot more options finding out different careers. YouTube is another big learning platform for me. I learn lots of things on YouTube. Yeah. So there's lots of options, but you've got to go away from that typical path we followed for years. Yeah. 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 Go to school, go to college, go to university, get a job at a big company, get a job for life, maybe move once, yeah. job for life, retire. Yes. Yeah, that's quite a boring life. Yeah. It might not actually lead to any happiness. It might yeah. not lead you to what you want. Somebody I remember years ago talking to uh, forced, I say forced their child, almost they set their child's path. Yes. Um, I went, I made him go to a good school. I got, I got him into a good college. And then I, I chose, almost actually chose the university he was going to go to and the course. 
Rashid. Yeah. So end of the second year, I think he's finally went, why am I here? Yeah. What am I, this isn't what I want in my life. I think he finally sort of woke up. And that was yeah. the end of the second year at university. I think he said to his mum, I'm, I'm not going to go back to the third year. Yeah. I, this is not what I want. And she um, basically threatened to disown him. Ouch. If you don't finish your degree, you're not coming home. Oh. So he obviously, he usually went and did his degree. Yeah. He um, now works in a mariachi band. Oh. But he's extremely happy. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. So there's lots of different worlds and careers and everything out there and paths. And you're not going to work it out when you're 18. I never, no. I didn't work it out for a long time. I didn't go to university because it wasn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't yeah. make sense to me. Yeah. Um, I was going to get into debt. And I'd already been working part time and doing extra hours. So I already was earning yeah. quite a bit of money. And I was like, I'm going to get in debt. Yeah. Doing something. I don't know what it's going to take. And I didn't know where it was going to take me. So it just didn't feel right. So I, I um, deferred a year. Yeah. Found a different course. And even that didn't feel right. So I just didn't go. Um, and then started working at B Squared. And I think as I started working here, I sort of found out what I liked, found my yes, passions. Your passion. And um, I haven't stopped. And yeah. my last 10, 20 years has been an absolute blur of challenges and learning new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and every five years, I, every time I go, where would we be in five years? And I've learned, don't even ask me. Don't I'll answer that question. Yeah. You never know. No. So that's, that's my advice for anyone coming out of school or college or university. You have no idea where you are going to be in a year's time. And I personally, I think a lot of people, will hit, will hit, that will get their anxiety going. Yeah. I personally see that as a great positive. Yeah. Because the door hasn't, you haven't found the path, you haven't found the door yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think the part of the problem is that we, we right from when our kids go into year one, we are setting them up to pass exams. Yep. And we put pressure on them straight away. You know, you've got to pass your phonics test. You've got to pass your SATs. You, you're, you're two SATs. You've got to do your six SATs. Then you go on to something else. And actually, what, for example, my son at the moment is um, really, really interested in um, designing uh, roller coasters and theme parks. So that's his big thing at the moment. So I think at the mo- he's currently downstairs um, making um, Oblivion on his on his switch on minecraft he's gone onto the internet and he has looked at the floor plan of oblivion the ride at alton towers and worked out how he can transfer that across to minecraft and make it and adapt it and change it now as far as i'm concerned those are really good skills to have i don't know how he's managed to do that it's it's over my head but when he goes to school that interest and that passion for that subject which actually could get him a good job in the future if that's still what he wants to do isn't nurtured because it's all about learning stuff to pass assessments and that's why I feel for for young people coming out of education now because really all they've been taught for the past 10 years is how to pass exams and assessments and that doesn't ready you for the outside world, which concerns me about their mental health, because we already know that if children are going through this system of passing things and passing things, if you don't just get it because you're, you know, you you don't learn that way, already you feel like a failure. It's like self-esteem goes, failure, mental health difficulties, because well, I'm already a failure, so what can I do? And and again, that's where I really thought that COVID might change 
um, the people that make decisions, the people above, people at the top. I thought it might change that outlook on they're in a position to change government, change what we do and to put different things in place. And I, I prayed that that would happen, but it doesn't seem to have done. And we seem to have just gone straight back to the way it was before. Um, you know, we all saw the fiasco with the GCSEs and A-levels and we it's probably for another time, not now, but we all saw that and we've gone back again. Children need to be in school. They need to learn this, this, this and this by this date. Well, all of these children have been out of school since March and they've learned other skills but and their self-esteem. The thing that I'm hearing from parents that I talk to is that our children, particularly our SEND children, their self-esteem, their curiosity, their creativity, their enthusiasm for learning, for life learning has really grown. And then they're going back into school. And again, it, it's not school's fault. They're being put into these little boxes where you've got to learn this and you've got to do that. Yeah. And that's where that mental health difficulty comes in. I always I say, I think we said before in previous about generations and stuff, and I think People in charge is are they are the old elderly generation elderly but older generations yeah and I think the older you get the more the the less in flexible you are you become stuck in your ways inflexible and things like that and I think that's what we've got leading this country is that's the way it was for me it's good enough for me good enough for that it's it's what I I enjoyed yeah. and it's like yeah it's the world is very very different. And yes. that lifelong learning. And I like, I, I miss kind of going to conferences and hearing different people speak because yeah. I always love hearing someone who's done something amazing in their school. Mm. Um, yes. And one of the ones is, and it sounded quite really bonkers when he first started saying it, is um, when you arrive at the school in reception, you are mm. given a topic. Yeah. I think it's got the topic he chose to talk about was the previous one I thought was rather bonkers. And that topic will stay with you for your entire seven years at that school. Mm. And this boy, one of these was dust. So you're going, okay, dust. And each year you've got to um, almost do a, like a bit of a talk or learn mm. more about that topic. Right. So you learn what dust is. So uh, dust is what you have when you don't clean. That's almost like reception level stuff. And you can, yeah. Then the learning went through of what's, what makes up dust. What's yeah. it called? And various stuff. And so you spend seven years. So you're learning about, you learn for yourself. You're learning yeah. about learning. You're not learning to tick a box. Yeah. You're learning on your own. So you're learning how you learn. You're learning uh, in depth. Yeah. Uh, and you become an expert in that topic. But I mean, you get yeah. to year six. It kind of sounded really odd, but you're sort of like going, actually, that's what we do as adults, isn't it? You, mm. you specialize in something. Yeah. yeah. And you go, fully into it like you're doing your psychology yeah. you're interested you're learning yeah. it and you're chasing it yeah and i was like yeah but dust but i think once you get this and you look into it you can actually re you you will find what it is you like about dust yes and then you will chase you'll find that string and you'll unravel it and learn it i found that really interesting and it yeah. is that learning for the sake of learning i i wasn't yeah. a fan of school i didn't hugely enjoy secondary school um college i had the choice of going to college or I could have bunked off college and earned money at my job. So I often did that one. So my attendance in college was shockingly bad. <laughs> but so I wasn't making choices because of, I loved it. Is I looked at education, went boring, painful, don't get the point, earn money. 
So that was my decisions. Whereas now I spent, I realized I spent my life learning. I actually love learning. I think lots of people yeah. love learning. They're constantly yeah. in different ways. Yeah. And I now go, oh, I wish I'd learned that. I wish school was more interesting. Yeah. I could go back and tell myself to pay a lot more attention in English to do that and choose that course instead of that course because you just did that course just to cover time whereas actually if you did this course you could have learned something and that yeah. would have helped you out here mm. but you don't you don't understand that when you're younger no well no um, one tells you no one tells you that and your experiences of subjects or areas are really affected by those teachers yes definitely relationships so, are key um yeah. and again you know that that goes back to mental health because if you feel as though there's someone there an adult there on your side at school then that will help that's really helpful um if you've got parents that are supportive that understand that things can be challenging and that just because children are little people doesn't mean that they don't have the same concerns anxieties and worries that grown-up people have um we need to be there to understand them and to help them to express that at their age appropriate level at their appropriate level of understanding um and i just think that so many children now are quite often certainly a lot of children i've worked with come from difficult home lives you know that I've said before I've worked in areas where there's high level of, of deprivation and poverty and you know they're coming in and their only hot meal is a free school meal they're not exposed to learning opportunities potentially that that other children might and when you talked about um you know the people in charge being older and being a bit more rigid I also think there's a class issue there as well because they've not it's all right for them because they've had things given to them and they've done things in a certain way. But that means that if you haven't walked, if you haven't come from, you know, a, a relationship that's been abusive, um, a relationship where drugs have been involved, alcohol's been involved, if you haven't come from a broken place, then how can you as somebody who's supposed to be making change, how can you understand how the changes you're making are going to affect the people that are still broken or that are coming from broken backgrounds? You can't because actually, right. you know, and I went to private school and I hated every minute of it. Um, my parents weren't well off, but they paid for me to go. They thought that was in my best interests. And I see how I saw how that was. And because I wasn't part of that, that kind of smacked to me of this kind of this entitlement and everything's I get what I want and I'll have what I want and it will be fine well most the majority of people in this world are not coming from that background and I think you know our children they're the future and we have to allow them to express their frustrations their sadness their anxiety and we have to tell them it's okay, it's it's fine to feel like that. This is how we're going to help you. And I probably went slightly off topic then, but again. Sorry, I'm I, keep, I keep finding myself going, okay, okay. you're talking, I'm going, where was I going with my last bit? I really went <laughs> I off on that. <laughs> I was really, I was passionate. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to your son again and that the roller yeah. coaster. And so he's yeah. 10? Nine, yeah, he's Nine, 10. Going, going to five. So he's he's designing and he's looking at stuff. Mm. And his his level of understanding of that roller coaster is at a certain level. 
and he's loving it. And then, but what you can do is you can fuel the fire with just a few little things. So when he learns about G-Force, so if he designs a roller coaster (laughs) and G-Force, and yes, if he did that, they would, um, it wouldn't actually come out um, as a human at the end of that roller coaster. They would have died and squished them. So there's certain things you literally go, you can't go vertical for three miles and then do a hard right turn. Yeah. Which yes. I would know. Yeah. Yep. There is, I don't know if he's, he'll be interested, but have you heard of the euthanasia roller coaster? <laughs> the euthanasia the roller coaster? No. It is, it's not been built, just to be clear. Oh, please tell me that's not a real thing. No, it's a design. <laughs> it's a design of a roller coaster where you'll basically, you'll be killed, but you'll be killed in a really happy way. Because you're on a roller coaster, loving it, but slowly, the, it, basically, it's high G's, and it's a design. It sort of goes down and loops and loops and loops because it gets tighter. So the idea is, by the end of it, I think your brain is starved of oxygen and you've died. But until the moment you die, you're in pure happiness. Only if you like roller coasters. Which Only I if don't. you like roller coasters. If you don't like no them, you're probably not yeah. going to be happy. Yeah. No but, good yeah. for me. But you can just take his passion and yeah. fuel it. Yeah. You can sit there and just do all this stuff and it's amazing and you'll fuel that and that'll be off. He'll be off. And his interest may change, but the skills he's picked up learning all about roller coasters, he'll then apply to his next interest. Exactly. And it's all about fueling. Yeah. So I think one of the things I think schools can do right now, if you want to really help that mental health, as, yeah. a, as you're listening to, you're thinking about this, is don't stop, start. Don't stop that home learning and go back to your um, learning for tests. Is Yeah. Bring that learning into the classroom. Yeah. Bring, so my daughters both went down a whole huge giant anime rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. They love yeah. anime and they watch yeah. various things. But they've, as well as watching, they've also learned. And you can have, have conversations about different types of characters and the stereotypes and all this lot. And the different, yeah. um, observing what they what they find funny in the, car, in the anime cartoons because it's all Japanese and their cultures. Mm-hmm. And you can really reflect on that. And you can bring that in. And basically, your children are learning. They're doing their comprehension. They're getting the, why did the character make this? Let's write this. And you basically you can just take their interests, which they've learned about and use, and use that in education. So roller coasters. Okay. So uh, what's the total length of the roller coaster? Mm-hmm. He can probably work it out. Yeah. And you're actually going, there's a lot of mass going on there. And addition and breaking it all. and. Or what's the uh, surface area? So if I had to build this, could you build me a roller coaster in this size? Or what? And all this lot, and you're doing area, you're doing this. And yeah. okay, so if it's this long and it costs this pound per meter, how long? You... And he would do complicated maths. Yeah. Much more complicated than he could realize because yeah. he needed to get the answer to build his roller coaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, bringing that learning, but making that connection. Yeah. I mean, supporting mental health in primary age children going back to the answer and then how to answer that is basically everyone's on their own. Yeah. Just to bring give an answer at the end of this podcast is you're all on your own parents. You're on your own. There is no support schools. You're on your own. Yeah. Um, you've got the pressures from the families trying to get support. You've got no support coming from above. Yeah. As I said on a previous podcast, um, people maybe working in SEN departments in local authorities got moved somewhere else because the local authorities that didn't feel there was need or they understood that they couldn't do face-to-face support yeah. and didn't think about, okay, so we can't do it face-to-face, but could we do it in a different way? Yeah. Um, and I think the only real support out there at the moment 
is each other. So you talked about Facebook groups and things you've been yeah. part of, and I'm a part yeah. of Senko groups and special needs. Yeah. That's all there really is, is each other. Yeah. That's, well, that, that's absolutely it. I mean, just before, um, just before we started the podcast, I pulled up, uh, I got a, an alert from um, a newspaper, I think it's The Guardian, I think, uh, pupils with special needs forgotten as English schools reopen. And that just about sums it up, um, sums up what I feel, what parents of children with um, with SEND have said, that they're concerned whether it's because their child's medically vulnerable or because of their mental health needs, because those adjustments cannot be made easily. You know, their child doesn't understand social distancing. Um, some children, like my son, wants more social distancing because yeah. he's so anxious. So, yeah, this is this is a great article it's great that people are highlighting it but what there's no what's so who's going to do something about it then because it's great to highlight all of this stuff but who is doing something about it and I do remember being at a conference once with somebody from the education department for education who was asked a particularly challenging question by Senko and he said well you know we've we've written a a, we've got a, a green paper on that we've written the paper and I just said really without thinking I just said well what's the point of the green paper it's great you've done a green paper but what are you going to go into schools and do about it on the ground and that was kind of an opening and closing of of, um, um, um. because it doesn't matter about writing papers and doing research we all know we know that the we we're in a world where there's a massive issue around mental health for adults for children but who is going to do something about it and you're right it's it's us it's all of us together in it together I did find that um, the last few years we went to conferences. I think earlier on, I think I, was, I used to go to a lot of Capita conferences and they were very much their teachers talking. And I loved it. I got inspired by them as a parent and as a B squared. I got inspired by listening to stories. Yeah. They kind of stopped me. We went to other ones. And generally, what I found over the last few years, and we went to like the Festival for Education, which actually ended up being down the road from us. It was really great. I could stay at home. <laughs> and generally, what I found with all of them is they started getting more political and idealist it's almost like we've written a paper yes i think we've theorized on what like education could be like i'm like (laughs) and that's helping me how yeah yes just doesn't actually though when we did our conference it's like no no we want to go back to that we i need something right now to help me yeah absolutely that's what we need more of and i think when it comes down to there's a whole load of funding and it's been cut, a load of the government's quangos yeah. years ago that yes, yeah. I'm still using a Bechter mug and there was a QCA and a few various others. Yeah. <laughs> they were there supporting schools in lots of different yeah. areas and that's all gone. And then they said, oh, it's yeah. up to new schools to you can do, make your own decisions. Yeah. However, we're not going to be any money or time to make those decisions. So therefore, decisions weren't made. Yeah. My only issue with that article will be the headline. So right, yeah. said, people with SEND have been forgotten. Yeah. That implies they were thought of in the first place. Well, absolutely. Yeah. It says on there for the past, I think it says in the article for the past few months, and I thought, you're having a laugh, aren't you, actually, for forever, yeah. forever. Because when my sisters, my sister would see someone go, oh, my child's been out of school for three months. She's like, three months? Yeah. Try two years. Absolutely. Welcome to my world. Yeah, and I think when a lot of this information came out, you know, the government talking about, well, children have been out of education since March. My goodness, they've got to get back and catch up. 
and a lot of people, myself included, who have got children who struggle to get into school and have been out of school, whether it's periodically or for for long periods of set time, we were kind of, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> what about our children? Because they've missed XXX. You weren't bothered then, were you? No. You know, so come on, Department for Education. Let pull your finger yeah, out. They've been, yeah, yes, the um, Department for Education special needs for the last few years has been completely shocking. It's dying. Um, yeah. It's really bad. And I do think, yeah, oh, the education they've lost in the last few months is going to have a big impact on their lives. It's like, can I quote you on that for my child two years? Thanks. I'm yes. Yeah, absolutely. Devastating. Apparently three months yeah. devastating, two years. Mm, okay. Yeah. And you just see that and you he's going, right, so completely agree with you, 100%. Yeah. yeah. These children need support. Yeah. I, think, I think what it comes down to, and I think this is a big thing for us all, and this is something that is out of control, is how long are schools going to be like this? Yes. Because yeah. the problem is we don't know. Is it going to be a case of, you know what, when we come back in November, yeah, get rid of it normal. Or is this, well, we don't know what's going to happen over winter, so it's going to be like this till March. Yeah. If if you say, actually, right now, we're going to be like this for the entire school year. Yeah. All the way through to July, we've got this. Yeah. Your school, your son's school can go, right, right, cool. This is, a, this is the year. Cool. Yeah. Right. For your son, we need to get this in. And whether you need temporary buildings, but yeah. if you're told this is a year, yeah. you will then do a put a plan in. Absolutely. At the moment... I think they talked about being a month or two. It's not really, we don't know. So schools can't really plan on, no. don't know. But no. If we had a concrete, look, this is how long it's going to last, just to be safe, we're going to go through to Easter next year like this, just get over the winter and get through, and we need to be precautions. Yeah. Then that's great. Then, cool, schools can then plan on that. And then, because you can't just say to people like you who go and support their children, no, you're not coming into Lisa. It's like, no, 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 these children need this. This is not like yes. a luxury. This yeah. is not like a perk. Yes, uh, it's not special adult. Needs. Special, needs, <laughs> special needs, what perks do you want with your package? <laughs> <laughs> this is, no, this is like a requirement and you're really not getting this. You need this. Yeah. And so that if this is to Lisa, right, so how can we get this person in? How are we going to affect yeah. this? How is that bubble going to look like? And, you could then go, right, so these actually, although we don't have an additional resource base, what we're actually going to do is take these seven children out of their classes yeah. into a temporary building, and their bubble will be seven, and they'll yes. be socially distanced, yeah. and we can have the people coming in because the bubble's so much more, it's less risk. Yeah. That would be lovely. If they did that, yeah. you'd be going, woo, we're off, we're great, and your son will be going, oh, I can cope with this, and everyone's going to be a lot happier. Yeah. But that costs a lot of money. Yes. There'll be an extra member of staff. Yes. And we don't know whether that money doesn't exist at the moment. No. And we don't know if that'll be, we get the porter cabin and we get set up, we get temporary building going. And then a week later, it's all over because it's back to normal. Yeah. But you could still, you could still use that temporary building. You could use yeah. that enrichment activities. But, you know, I'd like to know where the magic money tree is that appeared a while ago. I'd like to know where that is, why that's never been used for our SEND children. Why are they always the last on the list to get any kind of support whatsoever? And like you said, it's it's a perk. You know, oh, do you want the platinum perk for your SEN or would you like the gold standard perk? Well, no, there's no perk there. My child has a right and entitlement to come to school to learn and to make progress. And, you know, as as a government, we all pay taxes. Where is our money going? Where, you know, these children need it. And you know, not 
talking about I'm not just you know bashing the government but that the funding has been sinking and sinking and sinking for years and years and years and schools really people will say oh you know schools they've got loads of money no they haven't no they haven't they're they're you know you've got staff buying things and bringing it in you've got parents doing that but we need as taxpayers we need to see our taxes being put into the future generation and it's just not happening one of the things i say yeah schools do have loads of money however their bills over the last 15 years have increased hugely so if we go back to 2000 you look at the average school Mm -hmm. they might have primary school they might have three or four computers i think think we're not when i was at primary school in 1990 i think there were like two computers yeah now 2020 you've got to pay for fiber broadband fast enough to cover the whole school now fiber broadband has only come down in price recently for decent speeds so if you go to uh BT or Virgin Media, you can now get gigabit, which is a phenomenal for like £90 a month. However, yeah. schools who are tied in for contracts are probably paying 10 grand a year or more for that. And that's a small yeah. primary school, it's a bigger secondary school. Yeah. If, if your home internet goes down at home, it goes down, oh well. But if it goes down at school, you need that yeah. fixed. So there's a service yeah. level agreement, all that. But yeah. those costs are huge. Then if you're in a secondary school and you've got let's say let's say you've got 150 computers around the school in lapt that's a lot of money yeah that's a lot of money and they need to be replaced realistically every five years yeah that that funding you didn't have all that requirement in 2000 yeah the staff to manage all of that the training various packages of software microsoft and google give lots of software for free yeah. Other companies like us, where we only work with schools, we can't give the stuff to schools for free. We've got to make our money. Microsoft make their money elsewhere. Yeah. You buying your Xbox for your child helps pay for your software in your child's school. It's what yeah. it covers type thing. Yeah. So there's a lot, but there is a cost in IT. And the fact I, I, I live and breathe IT, I know how big that is. So when they say your schools are the biggest funding since this year, I'm going, yeah, I know there was no IT spending then. And now, you're even a typical primary is probably spending 20 to 30 grand IT related costs a year. Yeah. Yeah. That 20 to 30 grand is that's talking in a primary school. That's about 3% of their budget. Yeah. Which doesn't sound much, but that's a big part. But it is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when often the staff are over 50% mm-hmm. type thing. It's just, or even not 75%, it just shrinks down and down. That 3% suddenly is giant as a what's free that becomes a big cost so yeah. yeah that funding local authority actually the services they provide has been shrinking and shrinking yeah. and shrinking and shrinking yeah. some authorities i go to i think wigan is a really uh, one where i've been to various conferences in wigan and m- multi-agency teams so it's quite nice rather than having one central team for this which go out all over they split up into a various almost like hubs yeah and in that hub Rather than all the speech and languages therapists socializing and working together, actually people working with those children in the area work together. Together, yeah. Rather than the three autism people meeting up talking about that, actually you end up being, you're the speech and language talking to the behavior person, talking to the autism person, talking to that person. Yeah. You're actually talking to about the children together. Yes, collaborative working, that's what we're like. So there's lots of that going on. So there is positives, but generally there's very small positives in a giant sea of negatives. Yeah, And generally, and this is the thing I, I think I've said this to before you, is generally the people I come across are the people who are asking for help. 
Yes. The people who are looking and seeking yeah. to every person listening to this podcast, you're on the good list. You're on the you're on the nice list. Yes. Um, then there's a whole world of people who aren't looking out, who aren't trying to make changes, who are just drifting along. They're the people we somehow need to reach. Definitely. And when when you see people talk about, oh, teachers are bad. There are bad teachers. There are amazing teachers. And when you're an amazing teacher and you look left and you look right, yeah, you surround yourself with people like-minded. So you look right, amazing teachers. You look left, amazing teachers. And you're looking at going, well, we're all amazing. Yeah. yeah, but there's actually another group of people who are in that world who are looking left going, yeah, who cares? Yeah. So when, when people spash a group, if you're in that group and you look left and you think everyone around me is amazing, we're not bashing you. Yes, definitely. We're not bashing the people who are making changes, who are listening to this podcast, who are who are contacting, who are chasing, who are fed yeah. up of contacting people and getting no answers, who are yeah. tired of badgering head teachers for support. And yeah, we're not bashing you. But there are people in schools who are making some random decisions or making no decisions, hoping it will go away. Yeah. And as you said, if you're your son's school there's what they can cope with and what they can provide right now and there's what your son needs they don't match up no and until they get funding yeah until there's guidance yes until there's guidance that doesn't come in at midnight the day before it's meant to be implemented yeah it's um it's a tough it's a, it's a real tough thing because it's not like uh the government gets a covid covid can you give me your briefing for the next 6 months yep you're going to spike on the 3rd of November. Right. Okay. We'll do some stuff. We get everyone watch out. I do feel fat because they, they've got to respond and they probably have 500, five different groups of people, not 500, five groups of people telling them it's this, this, or this. And they've got to make that decision. And they've almost got to see the start of something before they can make that. It's a horrible job. It's, I do, I'm not a fan of Boris. He makes me laugh. I love going, if you ever get bored, go watch that video of Boris playing football where he just rugby tackles a player. Always makes me smile. But he's got a very hard job at the moment. But I'm not, I'm not his biggest fan. I personally wouldn't wish his job on anyone else at the moment. But there needs to be so much more. And the one thing I think of the DFE, which I don't like, I'm going to start bashing them at the moment. If you are listening, I know one of them does. <laughs> is when the hospitals are in crisis, they say, yeah, it's not great. Uh, and they say it's not great. When all the schools are in crisis and we have head teachers protesting, all the unions protesting, everyone up in arms, all these yeah. reviews about SEN going so badly and how bad it is and all the SEN reviews and of the local authorities going so badly and over, is it half of them which have been reviewed or are not up to standard? Yeah. And then there's a DFE going, no, no, everything's rosy. Like, no, 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 just it's not. No. Um, and until you start saying it's not rosy, until you start saying, yes, there is a crisis in education and we need more support, then you might get more money. When the NHS said we're in crisis and we can't cope, they got more money. The education, no, no, we're fine. Don't give us any more. No, yeah. You need to DFE, you need to start saying, we're in crisis. We need more funding. We cannot cope. We cannot do what we need to. Yeah. 
then we might get some changes. But while they're saying everything's fine, it feels like we're fighting the DFE. Yes. Where DFE might be agreeing with us, but for some reason thinking they need to say it's all fine. Yep. It's like, is it either King Canute or sitting on the beach? Yes. Yeah. That sort of thing. Or just somebody who really doesn't have a clue. I'm trying to work out. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say any more on that. No, because I know, I know my thoughts. (laughs) So let's wrap it up with, let's help everyone we can. It's a really good time for that whole pass it on movement. You know, pass it on. I've heard of it. Yeah. So uh, years ago, random example is I got a train all the way down from uh, Glasgow to London. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, oh, there's something above your head. No, I saw something. Somebody was sitting there with a the family. There was something up on the shelf above her. I said, oh, you've left something. She went, no, that's not mine. I was like, I swear you've been here the whole journey. And I opened it up. When I opened it up, this little uh, pouch thing, it was somebody's insulin pen and, and medication. Oh, well, and I'm no. literally going, right, every person, is this yours? Is this yours? No. And there's also a tablet, um, an Android tablet. Mm. And I was like, oh, and it was unlocked. And I was like, cool, it's unlocked. So I got out of the station and I unlocked it. And then I joined it onto my phone's Wi-Fi. And whoever it was basically deactivated it. He realized he'd lost it. So he basically right. kind of went, delete everything. So I literally, I turned it on and a load of stuff disappeared. And I was like, oh, you idiot. I could have got this to you. Yeah. and. I plugged it in. I found out that actually there were some pictures of something. I can't remember what it was, but it was quite unique. And I realized it was linked to a forum. So I found a forum. I said, look, I need to find a person who owns. And then I was running through and I found a setting. And I found an app which had some phone numbers in it. I just started phoning the phone numbers. And the third one I got to ended up being the person's, his, it was his thing. Oh, wow. It was his home phone number. So he'd obviously phoned his wife or partner at home. Brilliant. So his so our phone went, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, yeah. And I just sent it to him. He goes, oh, how much do you want? I said, nothing. But at some point, when you see something and someone needs help, yeah. pass this on. Yes, yeah. Pass it on. And I love it. I love it. And I even yeah. set a thing saying, just pass it on. So, yeah, yeah. it's a really good example. We've done it really good with like NHS and the clapping and lots of stuff. And communities. Yeah. We are really in that moment where it is pass it on. Yeah. And when you go into your school, as you've done, just remember generally those schools are doing the best they can. Absolutely. So don't bash them around their head. They're struggling. They're, they're struggling with their child at their school and all this. So let's be all supportive. Let's be really helpful. Absolutely. Generally, every single person you come into contact to support your child is not the problem. No. So the fact you're only talking to your school and no other support agencies tells me the school isn't a problem. And maybe the support agencies which aren't there is part of that problem. Now, whether or not this yep. person you end up dealing with at the support agency, it generally wasn't their decision. It's always the person you never speak to is generally that problem. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, pass it on. That's my big message. Always pass it on. Yeah. Cool. So, thank you for coming on the show today, Lana. No, thank you for having me. It's been fab as usual. Excellent. We didn't do too much bashing, so that was good. No. So, as I said, I always say um, I'm sharing Lana's contact details on the show notes. So you can find the show notes on our website, thesendcast.com. Big thank you for listening to the show. I normally ask you to subscribe, but this time, leave a review. So if you're listening to this podcast, listen to any episode uh, on our website, you can leave a comment on the thing. Or if you listen to iTunes or whatever, you can go give us a review. So go give us five stars. Say what you love about us. It's always good to read. (laughs) 
or website, www.thesendcast.com. There's lots of stuff on there. So there's all the stuff you can listen to. All the show notes are on there. So lots of links to various resources. And you can also sign up for our newsletter to get the latest news. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, or on LinkedIn, Sendcast. And as always, if you want to get in touch as well as leaving the reviews, let us know your thoughts, suggest topic, anything else, send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And as I always say, if you love this Sendcast, if you love the podcast and you want more and more in depth, please look into the virtual Send Conference. Like the Sendcast, it's run by us here at B Squared, but it, and like this, it covers all aspects of SEND. And what makes the conference different is you access it across the internet, so you don't have to travel anywhere. It's not in London. It comes to you. We run it twice a year in March and November, and each session, each conference is 12 sessions, all aimed at giving you something you can take away and implement in your school. So the idea is we want each session to make a difference. You can buy tickets for future or past events. The videos, as I said, are always available. So right now you can go and purchase tickets. The first one we ran in March 2019 and go watch all those videos. The cost for each conference is £60 and this covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to Sendcast, we're giving you a 10% discount just by using the code Sendcast10. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from him. The other one is fun and other jokes. Couldn't think of one. No. <laughs> right. Bye. Bye. Bye.